Well, hello, everybody. This is Justin. We had some uh, technical difficulties this week, so we were unable to record our sermon live in the Sunday service. But I know there are some who um, are unable to make it, especially on Fourth of July weekend, and those who listen uh, through the podcast. So I wanted to make this available uh, for our Philippians series. And so I am going to preach to you from my office staring at a computer screen. So the dynamics will be a little bit different, but um, I think God can use it all the same. So Philippians chapter 3, uh, we're looking at verses 10 through 14 this week. title of the message is um, Knowing Jesus. Last week we saw that Christ plus anything equals nothing. If you add anything to the gospel, it ceases to be the gospel. No works, no circumcision, no law-keeping added to Jesus um, will will make us acceptable in God's sight. It's coming to God through faith alone in Christ alone. And this week we're going to see that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That if we know Jesus and only Jesus and don't try to add anything to him, that's where we find life. That's where we find everything God has intended for us. The year is 2009. I am here in Sultana, raising support to go overseas as a missionary. And God uses a number of things to sort of change my course. And um, here I am today, of course, 2016, clearly not overseas, which I believe was his plan. But at the beginning of the year, of that year of support raising, I get a call from um, the principal of Cook Inland Academy, Mary, and she asks me if I wanted to teach the high school Spanish class, to which I just laughed at her because I said, Mary, um, I'm not a teacher, I don't have my teaching certificate, and I don't actually speak Spanish. So I'm not actually sure how I'm qualified for this role. And she goes, well, it's either you or me. So uh, I think we're better off with you. And I, I did have a linguistics background in college and some basic Spanish. So I thought, well, haven't been qualified for anything else in my life. So why not do it? Um, but one of the cool things I, I did know in uh, from Spanish, the Spanish language, was that they have two different words for to know. Uh, we just have one, which is to know, but for them, for the Spanish, there is uh, for for in the Spanish language, um, there is saber and conocer. Um, the, the saber means to know the facts. So, like I know um, how to operate a toaster. Okay, I know how to drive a car. Okay, it's about the extent of my practical knowledge. Um, I also know the names of all the countries of the world because I'm a weirdo and I learned an anime. I had an animaniacs theme when I was a kid, so I could sing to you: United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama, Haiti, Jamaica, Peru, Republic of Dominican, Cuba, Kirby, and Greenland, El Salvador, too. And I could just go on and on and, and just really impress you with my knowledge um, my, that I saber all the countries of the world. But I won't because try to keep this to a shorter sermon. So, saber means to know the facts or to know how to do something, but conocer means to be acquainted with a person, a place, or thing. So this is to know someone like in relationships. So, for example, I know my brother Jeremy. I have a relationship with him. I've grown up with him. I've spent years of my life with him. I do know facts about him. I know that he loves barbecue sauce. I know that he loves basketball. I know that he loves his family. Hopefully not in that order. Um, I know that I'm stronger than him, which I can say in the safety of my office, and he's nowhere around to challenge that. I think as the older brother, you always have the upper hand. But so, so I know facts about him. I saber him, but I also conocer him. I also have a relationship with him. I know him as a person. Um, I've interacted with him for many years. So, so the point is, Paul today is going to talk about his greatest 
desire, which is knowing Jesus. Now, but this this doesn't mean just knowing facts about Jesus, that Jesus is six foot two, that Jesus doesn't like olives, because let's be honest, I think olives are from Satan, all right? So there's no way that Jesus could have liked olives, because, you know, I don't either. But it does mean, it means to know him personally. And my prayer is that as we open the word together, that God would draw us into a deeper relationship with Jesus, to conocer him, not just saber him. So you look at verse 10, and, and, and Paul says this. He goes, um, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. Now, that Greek word for to know is to know by experience. It's not just knowledge of, okay? In fact, in the Old Testament, um, or in the New Testament, in the Greek language, they would use, um, they would say a husband and wife got know each other. And when they use that word know, it means to be intimate with each other because they would use that word know to experience, to have relationship with somebody, um, in that case, to have intercourse with them. So Paul wants to know or, or to know Jesus by experience, not just knowledge of, because he, his, and this is why, because Jesus, Paul knows that, that knowing Jesus is eternal life. See, eternal life is not just living forever. Everybody lives forever. We realize that. I mean, you're either going to live forever in heaven with God or in hell apart from him, but everyone will live forever. Eternal life, my favorite definition of it is in John 17. It says, Jesus said, now this is eternal life, that they know you, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So eternal life is knowing God, knowing him personally, being in a relationship, knowing Jesus. That's why God saved us, so that we could have a relationship with him through Jesus, because that is eternal life. It's quality, not just quantity. So, I, you know, I was asked by a, a pastor friend recently, and no, it's not Larry. I'm actually branching out, making some new pastor friends. Uh, and he asked me how he could pray for me, and, and, I, and I really thought about it sincerely. I thought, man, what kind of is the bottom of all of it for me? And I, and I just asked that he would simply pray that I would want to want to know Jesus. That I would daily hunger and thirst for him. Because honestly, guys, there are many, many days that even I, even a pastor, doesn't desire. That the well is dry, that I'm going through the motions, and I'm just playing the church game. But do I really long for him? Do I really want to know and to love and to walk with Jesus? Because as, as a leader in a church, the best thing I can do is to be in love with Jesus. It's not about making up really cool programs or preaching really great sermons, although, let's be honest, they're great now. Um, but, but, but model, have pouring out of me a love, a hunger, a thirst, an obedience, a walk with Jesus. Not just to tell you about it, but to show you it in my walk with him. And, and I want to wake up in the mornings. It's well documented how much I hate waking up in the mornings. But I want to wake up in the morning and anticipate and long for time to spend with Jesus, talking, listening, reading. But isn't that, I mean, how many mornings is that hard for us? I just think this morning I woke up and honestly, guys, I just kept hitting the snooze button. It was a long weekend. I was exhausted and I just slept through my alarm. And I thought a teacher at Bible school once said, what if you had an old friend who was waiting for you downstairs? Like if my best friend Luke came up from North Carolina and he's waiting in the living room for me to go see him. And I know he's in the living room and I just snooze. And I just hit the, keep hitting the snooze. Ah, he'll wait, right? No, I would get up. I want to go interact with him. And yet with Jesus, do we have that same hunger? Do we have that same longing? 
And this desire, you guys, it only comes with time spent. The desire gets bred by that time. Like if you say, hey, I only spend five minutes with my wife um, almost every day, and I, I don't understand why there's no intimacy between us, okay? Now, I'm no love doctor, okay? But, I'm, but, but I think I might know the problem there. If you don't spend time with the person, you're not going to grow in your intimacy with them, your desire for them. But it's important to note here that a relationship with Jesus does not simply mean your quiet time in the morning, although that is a sweet time. Uh, we, we, we know, we, we, we get to know him as we see him in other people, in the context of community, as we're worshiping together, laughing, crying together, sharing life together. We see all of life through the lens of our relationship with Jesus. And how, how transforming is it to think that Jesus is with me all the time, wherever I go, whatever I do. And that's, that should cause great joy in our hearts. And yet, some of us might freak out, okay? I don't know what it is we're trying to hide, right? Sometimes we don't want it. But Jesus is not following us around with a club. He's not just waiting to whack us when we mess up, though he does discipline those he loves. Jesus is our guiding master. He's leading us to quiet waters, through green pastures, but also through the valley of the shadow of death. And the important thing is that regardless of where we are, he is with me in the valleys and the peaks and that should be what we long for most so regardless that's what we're gonna that's why this whole sermon series is called choosing joy in jesus because we choose to find joy in the valleys and the peaks because all we long for is his presence and i know i got a long way to go in this and 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 you probably do as well so what does knowing jesus look like well he gives us four things first one is knowing the power of his resurrection. Paul says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Now, this Greek word is dynamis, which um, comes from, um, is where, where we get our word, dynamite. And it, it just simply means the ability to do something. So wherever you are right now, pick something up. Okay, I don't know if you're driving the car, be careful. Pick something up. Now, hold it in the air. You've just demonstrated the power, the ability to do something. Okay. Now, you have the, the, the power, the ability to pick that thing up and hold it. So the question is, what does the resurrection have the power or the ability to do? Well, a couple of things that I want to look at. Um, first of all, it, it has the, it's the power of, there's the power of, it gives us the power um, from death through salvation, Romans 1. Romans 1 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So the gospel is God's ability to save us, to save us from sin. That, that the, the resurrection is part of the story of what Jesus did so that he would be able to, God would be able to reconcile us to himself. We're also given the power over physical death, 1 Corinthians 15. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Physical death no longer has the ability to hold us. It can't take us into the grave any longer. The resurrection has given us power, the ability to defy physical death. It's amazing. We're going to live forever, get new bodies. But Romans 6 shows us that we also have the power over spiritual death. Romans 6, 6, and 7. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. One of the really cool things about being a believer is that we sin no longer as an operating power, no longer has control or the ability to be our master any longer. We don't have to sin. 
Paul said we were set free through Christ from the power of sin. That's what the resurrection gives us, is the ability to say no to sin. We're not its slave anymore. It's amazing. And then the positive side of it, Galatians 2, we have the power to live. My old self has been crucified with Christ. No power over me. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Now here's the power. So I live in this earthly body by trusting or by faith, some say, some translations say, in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we now have the power, the ability to live the Christian life through faith in Christ. That is the ability to love, to forgive, to speak truth and love. I mean, this comes from our resurrection life. And then finally, we have the power to to witness or disciple. Acts 1, Jesus, right before he goes to heaven, he goes, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we have the power, through the Holy Spirit, the ability to be witnesses, to disciple, to speak the truth, to have confidence to speak the truth, to have opportunity. God gives us these things, the ability to do them. And so Imagine for a second that you had um, Superman's abilities, okay? Like you could fly, you could pick up trains, um, you can disguise yourself with a mere pair of glasses, okay? But let's say that you choose to never do that. Why? Why would you not choose to do that? If you could fly somewhere, why in the world would you walk there instead? If you could pick up trains, why are you not picking up every train that you see, right? But we do the same thing as believers. We have Christ's power over sin and death, the ability to say no to sin and to say yes to righteousness, to do God's will and to walk in his truth. But yet we don't act like we act like we are, have been neutered. We act like we're still slave to sin. That's because we don't, we don't either know that we've been freed or that we don't believe that. We don't walk by faith. But 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy rather, um, Paul says this, he goes, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, of love and self-discipline. The spirit that we have is one of power. Second thing Paul gives us, or that, um, sorry, knowing Jesus means. So the first one is it means, the first one means knowing the power of his resurrection. The second one is participating in his sufferings. Now, man, you go, Paul, why do you always got to go here? Why are you always got to bring up suffering? You're such a buzzkill. But it's because suffering is a central part of this fallen world. A central part of our lives, and it's one of the main tools he uses in our growth. Now listen, it's, it's one thing to, to walk with Jesus in, in all the good stuff, but if we're going to walk with Jesus, if we're going to be one with him, it's going to include suffering like he suffered. I mean, listen, Jesus, he spoke truth. He, he made crazy claims on earth. There's one way to God, and it's through me. I mean, he, he, he spoke truth in a manner that eventually his own people killed him. And if we follow Jesus, if we live a life, a godly life, where we speak the truth in love and in grace, but if we speak the truth, the world's going to hate us too. So Paul said, anyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. And this is the problem. Albert Barnes said it this way, because many are willing to reign with Christ, but they would not be willing to suffer with him. Many would be willing to wear a crown of glory like him, but not the crown of thorns. Many would be willing to put on the robes of splendor, which will be worn in heaven, but not the scarlet robe of contempt and mockery. They would desire to share the glories of tri and triumphs of redemption, but not its poverty, contempt, and persecution. In other words, we want the good parts of following Jesus, but not the harder parts. But if we're going to be one with him, and you know what the cool thing is? As we go through the foxhole with him, those shared experiences, like when you suffer with someone, 
you know how much closer you're drawn to them. And then this is one of the tools that God uses us to build intimacy with him and with Jesus is through these shared sufferings. But beyond suffering for him and with him and being persecuted by the world, there's also this painful process called dying to ourselves. The third way of knowing Jesus is through becoming like him in his death. Paul says, becoming like him in his death. So what's Paul saying here? Is it just is he saying he wants to die or that he's going to die physically like Jesus to like be crucified? I mean, he I think he could be alluding to martyrdom. Paul does die um, for Jesus. But I think Paul is saying here, listen, the path to life is death. The path to life is death. Jesus had to walk the road of Calvary in order to walk out of the grave. And in John 12, he's explicit. He goes, very truly, I tell you, verse 24, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So unless the kernel, now no botanist, but if a, a seed has to die, he's saying, in order to produce more seeds, fruit, and, and Jesus had to die so he could produce more seeds. Who are the seeds? It's us. We could never have lived if Jesus first would, if Jesus would not have first died. And in the same way, Romans 6 says the same thing for us. It says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Meaning placed into. The word baptized is not necessarily saying, he's not saying water baptism. It's saying spiritually we were placed into Jesus. We were also placed into his death. Not only did Christ die for us, we died with Christ. And so he says, therefore, verse 4, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may too have new life. So in order for us to have new life in Jesus, we first had to die with Christ to our old self, to our old sinful nature. And the word done away with from verse six, it means to be rendered inoperative, to be stripped of its power. There's that word again. Sin is unable to control us. And listen, we do not find victory over sin by behavior modification. It's not by trying harder. It's not by keeping the law better. It's not by improving and finding a better version of ourselves. The only way to life, the only victory over death that we can have is for sin and death to be crucified with Christ. And he did that for us. He did that for us on the cross. In fact, Galatians 5, it says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified him there. You see, that's the truth. If we believe and we've placed our faith in Jesus, our old desires and passions to sin and to serve ourselves, man, those things have been nailed to the cross and they have no more power over us. Do we believe this, you guys? And the last thing, but knowing Jesus seems, says, it means, and so somehow, verse 11, attaining to the resurrection of the dead. He goes, and somehow, in, in, in some way, whatever it takes, I want to rise from the dead. And I do believe that means one day with a new body, but it also means life now. Remember John 17, eternal life is knowing him. We can experience resurrection power today, right this minute through Jesus. And Paul says, if we, if we know him in this way, we are called to run the race to win. Verse 12, he goes, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. Um, Paul says here, he goes, look, I'm, I'm no super Christian. Like, I mean, if there's anybody who could remember brag about this. Last week, I bragged about being a pastor, being at the top of the spiritual totem pole, which for the record is hogwash. We all have equal standing with God. But he goes, if we're going to play that game, okay, Paul is, if, if I'm like almost touching Jesus with my elbow, Paul is 
golf buddies with Jesus. Okay, he doesn't get any closer. Um, you, know, you don't get any closer to, to, to Jesus than Paul does. And yet Paul goes, man, I'm not perfect. And Paul had been saved for 30 years. Right now, you and I, if we, if we are believers, we are 100% right in God's sight in Christ, fully accepted, can't be any more accepted than we are, as accepted as we are by Jesus. However, None of us are done with the growing stage of a believer on this side of glory. We are becoming, in actuality, who we are in our standing before God. We truly are holy, and yet our behavior is, it doesn't line up. Our, our condition doesn't match up with our position right now. So we are growing. And that's the Christian life. It's growth and grace. Growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. It's funny. Sometimes I look back like, you know, 10 years ago. So I'm 32 right now. And I think about, man, when I was 22, I was such an idiot. I was so arrogant. I thought I knew everything. You know, but now as a 32-year-old, as, as though I now have it figured out, because you know what? When I'm 42, I'm going to look back and go, man, when I was a 32-year-old, I was an idiot, right? I thought I knew everything. I, I was so arrogant. When I'm 102, I'm going to look back when, I'm 90, when I was 92 and go, I was an idiot. I thought I knew everything. I was so arrogant. That's Christian growth and keeps us humble because we know we're not there. You want to meet a truly wise person. It's somebody that understands how little they know in light of all of who God is. Now, he says here that Christ took hold of me. And I love this. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ, Christ Jesus took hold of me. Why did Christ take a hold of me? This is such a cool thing to think that God grabbed, Jesus grabbed me. Why did he grab me? Why did he take a hold of me? Christ died not so just that we could get an escape hatch from hell. He died because he wants to know me. For us to know him, for a relationship with him. That's why we were saved. And so Paul says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took a hold of me to know him. And then verse 13, he goes, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. The Olympics are coming up. Can't wait for the Olympics to start. Love the Olympics. I've been watching the U.S. time trials probably more than I'd care to share. But I am uh, I'm geeked out about it. But these, these Olympic Games have their origins in Greece. And there were Greek games that were going on even in the time of Paul. They were extremely popular. And I wonder, he's going to allude to some... Um, Games, and I'm, I'm wondering if he has these in mind. There were there were runners in the game, but there were also chariots going on. And I like that analogy better for us here. The chariot was just this little rickety platform with two wheels. Now the charioteer, um, they are simply. I mean, you think about what they're doing as opposed to what the horse is doing. Who's doing all the work? It's the horse pulling them. The charioteer just sort of holding on for dear life, okay? Now, at the, at the finish line, is the, is the charioteer hop off and start boasting? Man, look at me. Look how great I was at racing. No, the horse is rolling his eyes going, I did all the work, fool, right? And, and I think that's a better analogy for our Christian life. We are not just straining, working on our own strength like a runner. That's Paul. Paul said in his past, he was banking on who he was and what he had done, his ability to run the race. But now as believers with Jesus, what he's done for us, it's like being on that chariot. I'm just simply holding on to the reins as Christ carries us to the finish line. That's why he said, Paul said, he who began a good work in you will complete it. It's God's work from beginning to end. We are his workmanship. He has given us good works. He's going to carry us and sustain us by his grace. And he says, forgetting what is behind. But what would happen if the charioteer kept looking behind them? Okay, they kept looking over their shoulder. 
Well, they start to slow down, they would crash, they would veer off course, right? It'd be bad news. They have to look ahead. And, and that's what Paul is saying. Forgetting what is behind, it doesn't mean a failure to remember. Like, we don't know what has happened in the past. We would fail at trivia um, about our own lives. But Warren Wearsby, he said it this way. He said, um, we are no longer influenced or affected by it. <clears throat> so in other words, you think about from God's perspective, Hebrews 10, it, Hebrews 10 says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't remember our sins and lawless deeds. It's that he doesn't hold them against us. It's not amnesia. It's forgiveness. And Satan wants us to, to constantly look back. He wants us shackled by regret and shame and guilt. Or to go ahead and look back at our successes and, and, and boast and live in the past. But, but that's not what we're called to. In fact, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, love keeps no record of wrongs. And that includes our records of wrongs and others. The, the, there is repentance, there is forgiveness, and we move forward sustained by His grace. So, so are you looking back? Are, are you looking back at past successes, living in your former glories? Are you, are, you, are you wallowing in your failure, saying, I'm not good enough. I have sinned too much. God can't save me. God can't use me. God can't grow me. Paul says, no, forget what lies behind and look forward. What is it that we're looking forward to? Last verse, verse 14. It says, I press on. This is what I'm looking forward to. Toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The winner of the games was called to the place where the judge sat and they would receive their prize there. They would get this wreath of leaves. They would, they would receive 500 coins, these free meals, and they would get a front row seat at the theater. It was awesome. All the years of focus, all the years of training and denial of things that everyone else gets to enjoy every single day. Okay, They're on these like gluten-free diets. They can't, um, they, gotta, they gotta just get these chiseled bodies and everything was gearing toward that one moment that one moment and then in that moment when they won when they got the prize it was all worth it victory and we have to ask ourselves are we living like those athletes are our minds and energy on the prize to come or are we distracted by the things of the world and what is our prize well in context I don't think this is just a reference to straight up salvation, although I think that can apply. And Paul doesn't get specific here, so I'm not going to overspeak, but I believe it's easily linked to um, 2 Timothy 4.8. Paul says, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. To those who love, who are looking forward, anticipating him coming back and long to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And see, I believe sadly, there will be many believers who are not gonna receive this kind of welcome, that they'll be saved. They'll place their faith in Jesus, but their lives have been lived primarily for themselves. And so they will escape, Paul says in Corinthians, but barely as those saved through fire. So we call a carnal Christian, someone who, who has placed their faith in Christ, and yet has lived the majority of their lives for themselves. Now, I do think there's no assurance there for that kind of a believer. And we could get into the fact of whether or not a person who has lived completely in self their whole lives uh, will, is even going to, will even be saved as evidence that they, they didn't really believe Jesus in the first place. But um, there is an award specifically for those who have kept their eyes on the prize, who have loved his appearance. And I, I want that crown I want him ultimately, 
Jesus is the prize. And that's why it's a crown for loving his returning, his appearing. He's the one that we long for. And any crowns that we get, we're going to lay them back down on his feet anyway. He's our treasure. And our prize, unlike the Greek athlete, their leaves will die from the, the, the wreath on their head. Their meals will be eaten and their coins will be spent. But our prize is going to last forever. So, so how do we walk with Jesus? Ryan Adams, um, in a blog he wrote about this, and I thought this was really helpful for me. He says, uh, so how do I walk with Jesus? Um, there's, there's four things. And um, the first one was the passenger seat. It's called the passenger seat. You know, there's time in the car is something that most of us have on a daily basis. Now, maybe you don't if you um, have children and you're not you're in the car a lot, but not by yourself. But instead of radio or podcast or music or texting, shame on you if you're texting as you drive. What about having a conversation with Jesus? Talk to him like you we would do a friend, because he is our friend. What what's going on in your day? How are you doing? Sharing your struggles, your frustrations. We would talk to them as though he is in the passenger seat, because Jesus is in our midst. So let's redeem that time in the car and talk with him. The second one is texting. Um, you realize that the average adult spends 23 hours a week texting. That's almost a full day of every week that we're spending texting on average. It's crazy. Now, this might sound silly, but why not text Jesus? And I don't mean flip, be flippant about this. I actually, I, this last week, I put, I just, in my two, uh, the section where you, who you're, the recipient, I wrote Jesus. Now, that's got to be some number. Some guy's going to be getting some weird texts from me and flattering, but, but weird texts from me. Or put a note in your phone, but, but keep a log. And I, and I find this to actually, it's like kind of like a journal. I mean, ask you know, a question comes in your mind. Ask him. Text him that question. Thank him when he does something cool. Um, put prayers in there. Put praises in there. Like keep it in real time. Let's redeem. If we're going to be always kind of in that mode where our texting is opening, why not interact with Jesus in that way? And it's a cool way to get your thoughts out in word form and realize that that He's listening. And and that's the third one actually is listen to Him. Imagine a relationship where you're the only one who talked. Now, for some of you, that's not a hypothetical, but. Uh, you know, here's my challenge. Go somewhere with no distractions, preferably outside. And like, don't speak for like 20 minutes. Just simply listen and ask him beforehand to speak to you. It's an amazing process. Now, I do want to put a caveat in there that, you know, we can hear from him, but we have to make sure that that lines up with what's in the word. If what you're hearing from him contradicts what's in the Bible, um, you know, we've had people in history who have listened to what they thought was God talking to them. And really, really, it was last night's pizza or maybe it was another spiritual force. So we we do have to be careful. But I do believe the Holy Spirit convicts and guides and leads. And, and God talks to us and to be silent in his presence, um, hearing from him coupled with the word. And then finally, go on a walk. There's a cool visual image of somewhat literally walking with Jesus. It sort of combines, um, you know, interacting with him in the car and the listening one. Just go on a walk, go on a hike. And listen to Jesus, talk with Jesus, cry with Jesus, laugh with Jesus. Maybe spend some time hearing from his word. Um, these are ways that we can actually, because it's hard sometimes to visualize, okay, what does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus? And some of these are just practical ideas, not a legalistic, do this, this is how you walk with Jesus. But some ideas of ways to think about him as an actual person, so that we would not just saber him, not just know facts about Jesus, but we would conocer him, we would be acquainted with him, we would have an intimate, real walk with him, because that that is eternal life. And just a programming note, I had mentioned in the sermon um, that, that I've started to put in the, in the bulletins in the weeks, um, these things called questions for the car ride. And you can find those as you come back uh, next time you're in church. You can see them at the end of the bulletin. Just a couple of questions for us to kind of chew on um, together. 
uh, maybe on the way, uh, it's called questions for the car, right? So that on the way home, you can be asking those questions with your family, um, maybe have the reader not be the one that's driving, um, but just a way to go deeper. How do we, from what we've learned this week, how do we put feet to that? Where do we go next? How does this apply to my life? Is there an area of conviction, uh, an area of repentance that's necessary? Um, and, and kind of take that to the next level. Um, so let me just close this out in a quick word of prayer here. Father, there is nothing greater than knowing your son. And I just want to say thank you that you have made a way for us to come back to you, to be reconciled in relationship with you, that that is eternal life to know you. And God, it's so easy to get distracted by the things of the world, to get caught up and, and, and like that athlete, to not stay focused on the prize. But there is nothing greater than knowing Jesus. And that day when he comes back, even though he's taken us through some valleys, he's taken us through some, some hard times, um, he's used all of that uh, to discipline us, to, to, to unite us with him. And in the end, um, we're going to receive that crown and it will all be worth it. I pray for the grace to trust you. I pray that you would give us the desire. It's not going to come by us gritting our teeth and wanting it more. Um, but give us the desire to love you, to know you, to walk with you. And that's where we'll find joy in every area of life. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.